You'll just get more New York as we talk, I think. Yeah, as the beers start flowing. <laughs> as the conspiracy theories start rising. Yeah. I'm going to go Alex Jones on all your assholes. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a podcast where... What a lot of shake! <laughs> Hello. Welcome, everyone. Hello. To another episode of You Never Forget Your First. Another remote episode. Remote style. We have Louis, who you just heard. Hi. We have we have Barry. Yep, hey. And we have Dylan all the way from NYC. Hello. D back on the pod. Oh yeah, thanks for being bringing me back. The fans have wanted you back since Nightcrawler. <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've done these more regularly since being remote and locked down than we ever did before. I'm not sure what to make yeah, of what that. Does that we have. What does that say? This is this is being recorded on the second of May. So, yeah, it's been two weeks since our last recording, I think. Any predictions we make about the state of the world will be true, will be false from the 3rd of May. So you have to, like, get it out and listen to it in the next 24 hours. We've got Dylan on our case for that, though, anyway. Strong disclaimers at the bottom. <laughs> so it's 8.30pm here, or almost 9. D, you're hitting 4pm, NYC time. Not my first time drinking in daylight, so... I think we've been present there a few times. <laughs> D, how's New York? Tell listeners how, how much you're enjoying going up the Empire State Building with no one else, no queue. <laughs> <laughs> the city is empty, everyone's alone, but we're all together. <laughs> For the benefit of people who can't see, D is also rocking a pretty mega tash right now, which is quite impressive. Because Sparrow had a tash last episode, so I'm feeling like someone has to have a tash each, each episode. <laughs> It might be me next time, honestly. I think I was saying just before you came on, I think I'm going to do it. Show me that. Just going to try a tash for a bit. Well, Louis would have to paint one on. He's not the best at growing facial hair. Well, I to be fair, I've never seen Louis. <laughs> I've never actually... I've seen Louis with like a three-day stubble and I was like, Louis? Is that you? <laughs> I, I do not feel myself after after two days without shaving. Louis so pale British and blonde, I feel like your beard would be invisible. It'd be like translucent <laughs> hair. <laughs> I feel like if Louis doesn't clean shave every day, the stock market might crash. <laughs> no one knows. It's never happened. <laughs> Dylan's like, please don't, please don't not shave. <laughs> so I take, I mean, I've been watching a huge amount since the quarantine. I've just been smashing through film after film. A couple of TV series, actually. You asked us to send a list and, and I have like one or two things on the list and you've got basically like <laughs> my top 100 films. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dylan's list is Dylan's list is actually pretty um... impressive. So, was on a big Western kick and watched another of Sergio Leone's uh, trilogy. Saw the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Highly recommend. Nice. Wood nice. says maybe twenty lines in the whole film. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Works really well over Skype. That noise. You've been watching World War Two in color as well. Yeah, that is... on Netflix, which is which is amazing. It's really good. The film quality is great, but they also splice in what's clearly from like Hollywood movies. So it's not all <laughs> Iron Man appears. <laughs> Captain America. It's also very subversive, shockingly, towards the end. They throw in all these anti-capitalist American narratives, just like splicing it in there. 
sponsored by Stalinist Information Department. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Piers Brosnan did a live stream of Goldeneye, and you could watch along, which me and Stu did. And I've noticed that Dee's watched Goldeneye and also Die Another Day, which is quite <laughs> interesting. Choice. You watch the first and last Piers Brosnan films, you can see how it goes from great movies to car crash. That's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> kind of hinted at it a little bit. Die Another Day just got so far-fetched. The Invisible Car. Like... <laughs> Invisible Car. Dom and I were talking about this. It's sort of, I feel every Bond, every Bond actor, his last Bond or last two Bonds are always his worst. Like, inevitably. <laughs> like, Die Another Day to me was very much like Quantum of Solace. You're not really sure what the hell the plot meant. He's uh, together. <laughs> we're all there. Bond, but... <laughs> Quantum of Solace, jeez. Whoever was looking after the budget they, i think probably appreciated the invisible car thing that's like yeah that's, we, can, we can do as many of those as you like <laughs> how many do you want i love it producers are like yeah. i love it it's the best that's idea, idea yeah it was funny and um he hasn't seen goldeneye since he filmed it that's mad so he was live watching it just being like oh yes i remember this scene oh yes i remember this scene <laughs> <laughs> you wonder how much how, how often that happens some actors love watching their stuff i remember reading some article uh with um samuel l jackson said that he fucking loves watching himself on screen and he'll <laughs> go to movie theaters by himself and watch his own movies because he loves watching himself on screen but especially if you're in like an animated film or a heavy cgi film I can imagine you just like you, you walk into a re recording studio for like two days and then you're done. Like, wasn't there that wasn't there that Gwyneth Paltrow thing where she re she didn't realize she was in a Spider-Man film or something? And she's like, I wasn't in that. And they were like, Yeah, you were. Like, I wasn't in that. <laughs> it turned out, yeah, she just hadn't listened back to it. I guess you just turn up to some of those films and you're like green screened and you're like, I don't know who's in this film, but I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, um, I watched the, the Death of Stalin. Anyone seen that? So good. Yeah, really good. So I. I knew it was um obviously the guys who made the thick of it. Um, that's what I is that that's what I heard before I watched it. Um, Armando Iannucci. Yeah, and to be honest, it, yeah, that does kind of sum it up. It's like if the thick of it was kind of put into a, into Russia and made into a film, yeah. it, that's what that's what it generates. But you no, know, really good. Um, I was impressed actually. As in, basically, I would, I didn't have high expectations of it. Um, but actually, I really liked it. You were quite skeptical before you watched it. Why were you skeptical? I don't know. I guess. Okay, this is this is a definition of judging a book by its cover, but the the, the kind of posters of it, um, anything like that, it it kind of looks similar to Jojo Rabbit, which again I haven't seen, but I just don't like the look of that that sort of film. That cover work, it, put, it puts me off. <laughs> I like how it just supports each other. It's like I just don't like it because it looks like another film that I haven't seen. <laughs> <laughs> no, those things you. That's my, that's my warped logic. I don't like the look of it. That's I true. No, I should. I mean, I will give Jojo Rabbit a watch because everyone who's seen it yeah. has said it's good. So. <laughs> by, by this logic, it means you would like Jojo Rabbit. Also, a film recently, I cried for a solid thirty minutes after watching Jojo Rabbit. Wow. That film. Hey, really? Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was intense. Yeah, really good. Really well done. Well, huge soft spot in my heart for Scarjo, but outside that, great film. <laughs> kind of crying were you doing after the <laughs> <laughs> i watched a lot of tv i've watched uh, killing eve season one i finally watched it i've been recommended it like a thousand times which thing really good really well written directed very just very entertaining i also watched true detective season one amazing probably one of my favorite series now ever this first season i haven't seen any of the others wow 
Yeah, I just loved it. I thought McConaughey, the best thing I've ever seen McConaughey in, he was so good. And there's an amazing like six minute unbroken shot of McConaughey pulling a guy, like pulling a guy along through these houses while he's getting shot at and it just doesn't cut for like five minutes or something. Yeah. And it's just so tense. That is it's an incredible so scene. Incredible scene. Yeah, there's there's like diagrams online from like bird's eye view of where the camera went. Like how and they like did the it. the journey of the camera. Is it not yeah. cheated? Is it actually, is it actually a one t- like a one shot? No, it's a one, yeah. No, it's a one shot. They, they, they planned the whole thing to a T. It's amazing. Yeah, it's um, great. It's always funny how one thing like that within a series can be the thing that people remember <laughs> yeah. out of like 12 hours of tv and, and the dop knows it yeah <laughs> they're like this is, gonna... is like okay <laughs> this okay. is my shot i'm gonna slot this one out <laughs> yeah it's really good i i can't remember if i talked about it on the last pub but i watched season three recently i've seen season one i've never seen season two because people say it's not very good but i watched season three a couple of weeks ago and that's really good as well i still think season one edges it because mcconaughey is so great in it but it's definitely like up there rivals it season three so I'd, I'd recommend yeah i've heard that oh, i'd recommend also watch double indemnity which is a famous like noir movie there's a really funny line in it where he's like he's like i wanted the money and the girl i didn't get the money and i didn't get the girl <laughs> <laughs> And then he has a cigarette, and you're like, "I'm in for, I'm in for a good ride here." That is such an underrated noir movie. Like to have an insurance salesman be like the plot of a movie like that is just hilarious. <laughs> yeah, the whole film is just based around this insurance clause. Yeah, not the most exciting professional career, right? And somehow gets made into a blockbuster of a noir film that everyone remembers. It was really good. It, it was just, it was very well, well done. But yeah. yeah, it's you watch movies like that, and you're just like. I can't believe people used to live this kind of life. Mm. They used to walk around in these hats and smoke everywhere and like... Exist in black and white? Just... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy when the world came into colour in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually one of the amazing things about watching the World War Two in colour things, right? Because you, you just think of World War Two stuff as black and white and it's almost like it yeah. forms a weird like memory and a distant yeah. reality that you can't really relate to. Does it explain how they colour it? Does it say anything about how it's colourised? It's on a Snapchat filter. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like some first AD just like recording the whole thing through their phone. So you've been watching quite a lot of uh, sort of classics, right? You're kind of um, filling up your yeah, back. Yeah, it seems to be on like a, a black and white movie a day at the very least. Yeah. What's good about these old films is that they're just, well, a lot of them are quite short. They're like 90 minutes. Like so that. you can just get through that. You sound like you're in a college film course just going through every single classic there is out yeah. there. Honestly, I'm, I'm my tutor and I've got an essay to do for myself for Monday. <laughs> <laughs> I put myself in detention. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. I'm still uh, laughing about that invisible car, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't see uh, the car. We don't need a car for this shot. I'm, let's do I'm it. Well, three. I should ask: Is uh, is everyone? I mean, we got the, the we're going to have to ask the standard coronavirus question. But is everyone still enjoying quarantine? Was anyone hmm. ever enjoying quarantine? What? Enjoy is a strong <laughs> word. Yeah. <laughs> How is everyone finding quarantine? <laughs> well, it's like it's like if you're in traffic, do you really want to talk about sitting in traffic? <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it's, it's like honestly, you need to like, go to the loo. You don't want to talk about anything to go to the loo, right? Exactly. You just take your mind off. <laughs> well, I think Dom. Dom, you're obviously using it quite productively if you're filling up your back catalogue of, of, you know, original canon films. I've, I've enrolled into Dom University and I am sitting on the front row 
seems like Dom is able to fit 27 hours in a day somehow. And time. I've, bent, I've bent time and space so I can yeah. watch more film. That every like script that you get back now is going to be like some Humphrey Bogart character. <laughs> hey, you want to buy some KFC, eh? Yeah. I'm going to make a noir called The 27th Hour. I'm on, I'm on a couple extra hours in the day. I didn't get the hours, but I didn't get the day. Yeah. <laughs> have you been watching, uh, have you caught anything up in Scotland? Have you done any more movie nights? Oh God, I thought you meant like caught anything. I was like, I hope not. Um, <laughs> um, well, I haven't done a lot of like movies, you know. I think I'm getting a sense that all of you maybe in a similar situation in that TV shows are kind of the go-to because you can mm. kill so much time with them. I've been mm. um, I've been re-watching shed loads of The West Wing, <laughs> which I always do in an election year, a US election year, because I need to like remind myself how all that works. And <laughs> so addictive it's so addictive it's brilliant i started watching succession which is this hbo thing yeah which is kind of good brian cox mostly based on the murder um, empire isn't it yeah yeah exactly and i started today actually watching a couple of episodes of this new greg daniels thing on on amazon it's like it's called uh, upload and it's sort of it's 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 kind of a bit like the happy place on Netflix. It's not really my thing, but I might give it give it a chance, watch a couple of episodes and see what it's like. West Wing is a fairly big undertaking. <laughs> I've watched it like three times before. I I love it so much. Um it's my kind of go to like happy place, you know? It's like my, my comfort blanket of a TV show. You, is everyone like, What should we watch tonight? And you're just like West Wing, anyone? <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to a simpler time. <laughs> The amount of like fast talking people walking down corridors towards the camera that you've watched in the last <laughs> yeah. in the last week must be off the charts. It's not very good for quarantine when you're just literally stuck in a chair in front of a webcam every time you have a meeting. Should we move on to our first animated film of the podcast? Mm. <laughs> hey now. So <laughs> <laughs> Oh wait! I feel like we should announce before you do. Maybe we should announce the uh, the the position on the list that that you found out this pod's at because I feel like that's quite an achievement. Yeah. So we did. We found out recently that um, on specifically on April the twenty second, the pod hit the twenty eighth best film review podcast in the whole of the UK on our Apple charts, um, which is pretty uh, pretty monumental. Yeah. Very interesting. There's only twenty nine of them. There is. <laughs> there's only twenty seven of them. What? <laughs> um there's a bit of good news so thanks everyone for the support it's it's definitely there and definitely rate us on apple podcasts if you can that's that seems to be the metric the the elixir that apple go by although they don't release their algorithm or how they place oh. you but presumably they placed us 28th because that's what we asked for 28th position <laughs> um so yeah that's a bit of good news but yeah so the the film this week is shrek it's the first animated film we've done on the pod i kind of thought that pixar was like the main landmark kind of animation movies which are true which is true but um shrek's a pretty big deal like and then when i actually deep dived on it it's it's kind of got a couple of firsts in its own history which is pretty interesting i thought i'd just say the synopsis for shrek is shrek an ogre embarks on a journey with a donkey to rescue princess fiona from a vile lord and regain his swamp <laughs> <laughs> it's like the most straightforward synopsis you could probably have for a film i really enjoyed rewatching this i haven't seen this film since 
honestly, probably since like two years after it came out in 2001. So it was kind of interesting to re-watch it and re-quote it as well. Because I think I used to quote it with my sister quite a lot back in the day. That's it's so quotable. <laughs> as a kid, what I found funny is way different than today. But I remember <laughs> watching the film, I could hear myself yeah. saying those quotes. I'm making waffles. <laughs> Yeah, I'm making waffles. <laughs> this film has way much, way more adult humor that went over my head. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. When I was a kid, I was just like, "Oh my god, this animated film!" And now when I watch this, I'm like, huh, "That's the subtext of that's really funny." <laughs> <laughs> I take it no one has seen this film for a long time. It would be odd if we're on my yearly watch list. I have to admit. Yeah, I I probably have. You know, I can't think of exactly when, but I feel like you just catch it. It's on TV. I think I've probably like had it on other people's houses or something i don't know yeah i've definitely seen it a few times not just when mm. it was first i've out. seen bits of it but never actually sat down and watched it properly since since i first watched it yeah yeah that's probably true of me too but yeah no it, i forgot i'd forgotten how um yeah i had forgotten how funny it was actually way funnier than a lot of animated films i find <laughs> It's yeah. also one of the things I notice most about it is how like perfectly formed it is. It's like it it's it's really short, but it, it's quite epic. Like it covers quite yeah. a lot of a lot of ground, and it's like yeah. it all just perfectly kind of like moves the story along really well. Do you know what I mean? Like so, there are bits in it where I noticed it's like oh, we've suddenly gone from first seeing this donkey creature to him and Shrek having this conversation, and it's this kind of like seamless transition where he like runs up into the woods and bumps in, and it's like happens quite all happens quite quickly. I think it's quite impressive how like tightly it's all together yeah it does feel like it's quite an efficient film when it comes to covering like a lot of ground the animation for it started in 1996 it took four and a half years wow to animate well it sounds like they went through several iterations right of what the story would be before they landed upon the final version mm. the original was meant to be like shrek as a teenage ogre or something <laughs> trying to make it as a knight it's crazy to think what it could have been it's absolutely crazy thing like what that film look like they should release yeah. a like an alternative version a prequel it's pretty funny that prequel. The concept was basically they just had an ogre and a swamp and it could have been anything the story could have been nothing or anything and this stuck this is what they came yeah. out yeah it's um it's based on a, a kid's book right yeah very loosely i think this producer called jeffrey katzenberg who was a famous producer at disney because what's quite interesting i found about this is that it's not pixar it's dreamworks well it came out after toy story which i think was in 1999 and then i think it battled at the first academy awards for animated films with monsters inc there is like a story that jeffrey katzenberg's kids found like we're reading shrek and he read it with them and was like they and kind of thought this would make quite a good like animated film but obviously reading a kid's book and telling it's an animated film are like two completely different things <laughs> so yeah but yeah dreamworks is kind of interesting because i think it was started by spielberg and him oh my favorite director yeah. <laughs> <laughs> any long-time listeners are just like i get that reference um <laughs> Easter egg. Yeah, so I think Spielberg was meant to direct this or was meant to make this first with Bill Murray and um, Steve Martin, which would have been quite a different movie. And I don't think that it was animated back then, CG animated. I think it was like a mix of live action and hand-drawn stuff. Like Space Jam. Yes, some live action part of Shrek. But yeah, they, they canned it when they saw that it just wasn't really <laughs> crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Yeah, it's one of those things where you just... you I, I, I'd love to sort of see every single iteration that they, they planned from the outset to like to compare notes. I think yeah. this is quite common with, um, with animated films, right? 
Like, because you don't really need to commit to a story in order to get to start with all the actual actual production. Like, you can start playing things around. Like I heard in uh, Creativity Inc., they talk about how Toy Story 2. Mm. Was it Toy Story 2? Yeah, or Toy Story 1. Toy Story 2, they, like, played around a lot with the story like loads and loads of times after they'd seen all the footage because they weren't sure if it was actually strong enough as it was and they were just terrified of getting it wrong it is true that at that time so much of this was still up in the air like they were and all, all of this was novel so it could have gone in any direction but it's surprising to see dreamworks you know not known for its animation a newly formed studio so much right from yeah. the way the film was shot to down to a storyline really impressive that they got that right i remember seeing that whole bit about how toy story was supposed to be like a really edgy adult film that wound up sounding so sarcastic that audiences were turned off but this is like a perfectly irreverent film that's kind of like the anti-disney uh princess narrative but winds up being such a fulfilling and redeeming story that it's really impressive they were able to turn this into something like that this is kind of nuts how this is not pixar yeah really early animation days and they've still made something that 20 years later the internet is like still making memes about yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot to be said for this film it, it feels like it sticks out amongst the like now hundreds of animated films that have come out and are probably going to come out. Um, they kind of got in there early. There's now like four Shrek films, isn't there? I don't think I've seen any of the others. There, there, there's definitely around four, but then they have all these offshoots. They Shrek have like Shrek loud. Swamp, like these little short animated yeah. series. Yeah. Puss in Boots. Puss in Boots and stuff. Exactly, yeah. Puss in Boots. <laughs> Shrek is love. <laughs> Can we just talk about Shrek is love, Shrek is life for a second? I'd really rather not. This is... <laughs> This is this is ridiculous. Yeah, is, this, is this really a wise idea? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Look, let's let's come. We'll come back to it later. We'll, we'll... There was uh there was one reaction I watched on YouTube, and the guy just flat out said, "This is the beauty of the internet. It takes something, and then turns it into something entirely unrelated, but yet fully related, and it's hilarious to watch." <laughs> We're definitely gonna have to talk about how the internet's obsessed with Shrek. Are the characters based on? Is it just because you said they they went through different iterations of the story? I don't think it's the story. I think it's just I think it's just the character of Shrek, basically. Basically, yeah, loosely formed idea of like Shrek in a swamp. That's really all it was. That's why they're able to have like a teenager. Get the fuck out my swamp! Yeah. It hadn't been a really well known guy because apparently he was a really famous cartoonist for the New York Times or something. And if he hadn't been, then they probably would have just stolen it, I guess. But it was obviously he'd done it really well, and he was quite high profile. And maybe they're not mistakes, but like just kind of like the happenstance of how things work out. The fact that the animation for Shrek, as we know him today, was based on Farley and his structure, right, his right. like body structure, right? But that stuff, yeah. Myers comes in and comes up with this kind of very ugly, but also very natural and like popular Scottish voice, right? That winds up working for the character. He's a misfit, right? For society. And then you have a fucking hilarious donkey. <laughs> <laughs> we should say that because the, the Chris Farley was meant to be the original voice of Shrek. And I, yeah, I, I, heard that. I yeah. believe he even recorded the whole film. Then he passed away. And Barry, you were saying that you saw him or you knew him in something. Chris Farley. Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills Ninja. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently, it's a classic. The film was about 
Shrek being this like teenager who was trying to make it as a knight. It was a completely different story when Chris Farley was there. And then they obviously redid the whole thing. I mean, it sounds like from just from, I was picking up like, but you know how Amazon, if you watch on Prime, it like gives you those facts throughout the movie, like kind of hovers over little trivia points. There are so many things about this film where it just seems like it was a Frankenstein's monster and it shouldn't really have come together very well. Like like most of the cast never met each other. So pretty much every time like Mike Myers is talking to Fiona, it's talking to Cameron Diaz, they never actually met. like they were just reading to like script handlers yeah. each time and like they've never actually come together so it's quite impressive that they managed to sort of edit this whole thing together quite well a lot of people at dreamworks were working on a lot of other projects and shrek was kind of the <laughs> the kind of like child that no one wanted to look after and like yeah. didn't really um didn't really pay much attention. the biggest success out of all of them yeah so our second dual directors um andrew adamson and vicky jensen Vicky Jensen was a storyboard artist, was in that place where people weren't really caring about the film, but she was also being a storyboard artist and had her own ideas. So kind of just stepped up to start directing it and kind of making it, yeah. which is pretty impressive. I, I mean, it's just so impressive. This is a first film. Yeah. You would, you'd think it's by a seasoned kind of animator, CG or not. Yeah, you yeah. would. You would. And it, it's also aged really well. Yeah. Visually. The thing it didn't age well on for me was the, <laughs> the, the it's the facial expressions are sometimes a bit weird. <laughs> Especially Shrek's. And I can yeah, forgive them because he's green. a fucking ogre. So it's like, how do you, where do you start with that? The, the one thing they were rough on was the CGI. Like at a certain point, you could tell, like, it, I felt like I was watching a Sims like character like, <laughs> certain people running around or like standing awkwardly like they didn't get everything perfect to the, to the extent that Pixar would feel really good yeah it's a bit like a game yeah yeah, exactly. yeah you can be quite forgiving of it though can't you on Dylan's point of the Scottish accent Mike Myers did do the whole film in his normal Canadian accent I think yeah and then he did a Scottish voice and apparently was they were like, that's brilliant. We've got to redo already, the whole film. He already had the Scottish voice for Austin Powers, didn't he? So I think that's what he tried it from. Yeah, and then yeah, applied it to the whole film again. I just love the idea of going into a voice booth and being like two weeks in a voice booth doing the film. And then it's like, uh, what again. if we just did the accent like this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's redo the whole film. In any other voice, I don't think it would fit, right? Like not having a accent, not having Eddie Murphy. Like they're so yeah. uh, indelible to their roles that now... Now, I can't imagine it being any other way. It just adds an extra layer. And that's why I thought was so thoughtful about this film is that from front to back, they didn't have like any dead space in the film, like small little things like the applause cards popping up. <laughs> and there's like an all of that, like small little things like that just add to the character of the film. So it's like really well. Done. Definitely. Yeah. I, this film, apparently I also uh, approached Nick Cage, who said no, which would have been just a <sighs> so gutted, so nuts. And apparently he said no because he didn't want to look like an ogre. <laughs> it's a cartoon. So funny. I can't believe that actors have that image of themselves. Like that other fact that John Lithgow wanted to turn it down because he's playing a short guy. You're not acting. Because he's too tall, yeah. So it really matters. <laughs> it's CG, so it's not actually you. Yeah, but I don't want to look like an ogre. Like, yeah, you're not going to because you're in an animated movie. <laughs> Got the producer. casting director having that conversation with the agent. <laughs> you got the producer from Die Another Day in the background, just being like, "Buddy, just sign, <laughs> sign on the line." <laughs> Most stressed out agent ever on the phone to Nick Cage. It's a really good opportunity, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> you won't look like an ogre. No, I was saying, wait, things, that sort of thing is like. Oh, I mean, yeah. like, obviously, I don't, I don't know the 
the context of it, but like it's a kid's cartoon comedy. So it's like, I don't want to look like an ogre. It's just like, it's not as if you're like the, the lead role in like a kind of romantic drama <laughs> playing an ogre. It's like... It's an animated comedy. To be fair, I guess it's one of those films that, like, if you if, if you don't know that it's going to be a rip-roaring success, and if it's DreamWorks, you probably had every reason not to think it would be that successful. It's the kind of thing you don't want to be painted in, do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, if it hadn't been good, it would be yeah, awful. True. Like some film about an ogre and a swamp <laughs> <laughs> and a donkey. <laughs> There's something about that, like, mentality that I think led to its success. This is a film about people who are outwardly ugly and that society doesn't accept them and ultimately they have redeeming qualities and that helps weed out all the bad actors right like the people who <laughs> the roles yeah. obviously relished something about being an outsider that's true who's finding his place in the world and i feel like that working this whole film is just a subversion mm. of what i would consider to be a kind of classic disney fairy tale yeah i don't know if you saw this but there there were rumors that because i think jeffrey katzenberg had quite a big falling out from disney with Michael Eisner, who was the CEO then. So it's a lot of people have speculated that then to go and make your first film, leaving Disney on bad terms as being like a subversion of a fairy tale narrative. Apparently Lord Farquaad was actually based on him as well. I, I read this. I, I don't know how true that, that is. I, I, it, I mean, who knows? It, it feels like it's, it's, it's yeah, it's rumours. But um, in any case, on that point, the whole film kind of works as this subversion of a, of a fairy tale, mm, which yeah. I just think is the reason why we were saying earlier it's become timeless in a lot of ways mm. because that you can always do that you know you can always return to that concept yeah 100 percent. i felt like from front to back the whole film i'm surprised they didn't get sued first of all but the whole thing <laughs> in the perfect way like you could be irreverent towards disney and still date yourself pretty quickly if you choose the wrong narrative yeah but the fact that from front to back, and especially in that scene when Farquhar has the choice between the first two of his bride choices were Disney brides, and then his third choice is this bride, right? Do and you then know it fits the muffin man? This whole idea of, <laughs> the muffin you know, man. It's not like the muffin man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on Drury Lane. <laughs> you mean the one on Drury Lane? Yeah, no, I, I know. Him. Yes, I know the muffin man. Oh god, yeah. It's a, it's a good point. I, I didn't consider that. E even to the like, e you know, there's a bit earlier when when they all move into a swamp and they throw the Snow White looking character yeah. on his um, table where he's eating, and he's <laughs> like, "I don't want this." Literally <laughs> pushes. But to be honest, that just that just probably goes to show how well Disney has like kind of pri like yeah. ma made 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 property of of these fairy tales that are actually in public ownership. Do you know what I mean? The fact that you can't make a film about fairy tales without it being in one sense or another about Disney. I mean, even the first the first shot of the film, you know, with the fairy tale book and then him using one of the pages as a toilet, as a toilet paper, <laughs> yeah. like that just sets the whole tone for the film straight away. And then somebody <laughs> once told me. Apparently that track was a holding track as well. So yeah, like that was just a, like a placeholder bit of music. And they were like, yeah, yeah we'll get it. We'll get a soundtrack in here. And then someone was like, I really like that that song on it. And they were like, okay, well, let's just keep that one. Then. Having a score to every Disney film does get a little bit old after a while. Why not have a song yeah. that not only tells a story, but is popular in your soundtrack? There's a few bangers in there. <laughs> It's got a sick soundtrack. <laughs> when the actual Shrek soundtrack played, not the pop culture references, but the, the actual score for Shrek played, I was like, oh my God, I remember this, what, watching this and hearing this when I was a kid. It really sticks out. It's like, it, it seems to operate on two levels of doing the 
school memorable school thing that kind of pop tracks. it just differentiates it from disney so well that's the that's the main thing it's so different to any disney movie at the time i guess the, the other thing that it's worth saying about shrek is like they it it wasn't the first film to like it wasn't the first parody film obviously like the the, the parody genre is pretty alive and healthy for a long time before 2001 it does what it does better than most parody films is that it kind of has actually got quite a heartwarming real story at its basis as well if you look at something like scary movie or i don't know airplane or naked gun like these these sort of things are just basically piss takes but don't really have any sort of strong narrative to them whereas Shrek does have like a yeah, kind of heartfelt yeah. one as well and in that sense it's not a true parody right because all those other yeah. parody films that you just mentioned don't offer anything new they're just making fun of they're satirizing genre whereas this does exactly. that it does make fun of it but it also offers something new it offers a different archive for a fairy tale love story that it doesn't need to be all princesses and high heels and pumpkin carriages. It can be something different. It's such a strong core concept to keep coming back to, like what you were just saying about the applause, holding up the applause thing and then holding yeah. up the awe. <laughs> like any time you apply that concept to any fairy tale thing. And I, I just also, I was going to say back on the um, subversion of fairy tale, the palace having the, yeah. the, the, kind the of music, hold, the, yeah. the hold music or whatever it is the the you know when they oh when he's yeah. walking in he's walking in the guy's <laughs> running away from him in the rope line yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with the head So funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it takes a bit, the picture it takes of him and Donkey when they have the little... They're all so real. Like, every single thing. Yeah, it's making fun of itself as much as it is Disney at the same time, right? It's like... Which makes it quite untouchable in that way, I feel. Definitely. Um, they, they, they were so consistent in that, even in that last scene where he calls off the wedding. Uh, I don't even remember, but when she turns into, back into the ogre and she has that burst, all the windows shatter, but except one pane, and then the dragon just punches <laughs> that pane to complete it. Have you, um, so you noticed that, that Duloc or Farquad's logo is basically Facebook's logo before Facebook existed? Mm. Have you not noticed? <laughs> I didn't know. I did not make this connection. Is this to do with your? Uh, it was all a dream. No, 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 no. it's actually like I, 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 I like I've noticed this like a few years ago. It's a weird, weird thing. If you look at pictures of of Dulop, oh my god, it is. It's the Facebook logo, but this is in two thousand and one. So long before Facebook existed. That's so amazing. I remember watching it a few years ago and thinking, like, were they trying to, like, take the piss out of Facebook and then realised that it was anachronistic, it was the other way around? One thing I didn't appreciate this film did, and what's interesting is, like, Toy Story obviously had Tom Hanks and, like, a bunch of other famous actors voicing animated characters in it, but it seemed like Shrek really popularised and kind of pioneered the whole using celebrity voices in animated films, but also creating personas around those voices. So yeah. the, I think John Lithgow, who plays Lord Farquaad, mm -hmm. he's really tall in real life. <laughs> and obviously Lord Farquaad's really short. And like that kind of being a gag in and of itself, this film is like constantly subverting. Which brings me back to that point about like having actual outsiders or people who can play good outsiders, like Mike Myers can, like most people can't actually being in your role because I feel like that embodiment, whatever it is, that 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 mixture that makes you you comes across in your voice and then on screen, even though it's not you on screen. It's something you really pay for voice. Amazing. I mean putting Eddie Murphy as a donkey must have been so pioneering at this <laughs> Yeah, just going back to those facts that you had, uh one of them being that it was supposed to be was it Steve Martin 
and uh yeah bill murray bill murray i don't think it'd be the same film it would be way edgy i think it'd be way less sharp and crisp and having those voices uh i think you just lose a little yeah there's a real unpredictability to shrek i just also loved all this the 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 spin on modern things like you're saying about the guy running away down the (laughs) the rope outside disneyland um or just the the blind date (laughs) it was so good so What choice number one? <laughs> choice number one. It's now kind of a truism. Everyone accepts it that that the success of an animated film or a kids' film is whether it can be universally appealing to both children mm. and their parents. So, like, if parents can go and find something funny in it that kid, that might go over kids' heads, but kids will be engaged yeah. by the basic yeah. thing that's put in front of them. And Shrek does that so well because all of those references that basically take the piss out of things yeah. in modern life are stuff that's mm. built for adults, but kids would just appreciate the story anyway. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a lot more adult jokes in here than I ever gave this credit for when I first watched it as a kid. I was like, wow, they got away with that. Yeah, yeah I think he's compensating for something. <laughs> yeah. That, also, you know that I totally forgot about that Monsieur Hood bit. You know the yeah, Vincent, Vincent Cassell. Is that Vincent Cassell? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Secret secret cameo. Built, so the Matrix came out quite late in the production of Shrek, and apparently they just like built in oh, that that, yeah. that little shot of her like <laughs> doing that three sixty because they were like, "That's too cool. We need it in the fight." <laughs> That's so good. I love that. Where I totally forgot about it. and the music as well. Techno nineties like <laughs> Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> so many references. It's full of pop culture references, but it doesn't feel dated, which is very hard to do. I feel like once you put a heavy pop culture reference in a film, you are kind of tied to the. But there's so many different ones in this that I feel like it kind of gets away with it. They picked really iconic things to model. Like if you pick that scene from The Matrix, you got lucky because everyone knows that scene, even if you've never seen The Matrix. You know the flying ball. Yeah, they could have could have taken like a scene from like. <laughs> equilibrium or something and been like hey remember that yeah we're like no it's worth saying which we haven't mentioned yet this won the first so when the Acad- when the oscars launched best animated feature the first year of it was 2001 and first year of it was 2002 sorry and shrek won it beating out monsters inc for best animated wow. feature which is crazy think about it not an easy film to beat I, I i looked it up and basically virtually every other year is won by a pixar film <laughs> <laughs> so yeah other movies by dreamworks like kung fu panda and stuff are, are not winning that award but they all interestingly they all follow the similar template to shrek big pop culture references big celebrity voices subverting a story funny how if your first film is a major success that becomes your template for a studio that sort of one in Shrek for being irreverent and doing things differently than Disney. You can easily tell how they took that first film and mm. made that their template going forward. And the same thing for Pixar and Toy Story. But I, I feel like Pixar pulled ahead because they kind of made a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Just different kind of film. Shrek is definitely the most like adult kids cartoon of the bunch, I think. And there's more there's more in there for grown ups, I think, than pretty much anything else at the time. There's a weird theory on the internet of you know when Donkey is being sold and you see three bears behind him. Yeah. There's two a par- a mum and a dad bear and a small bear and they're caged behind Donkey. Then at the end of the film, when they're all dancing, you only see the dad and the (laughs) small kid. You never see the mum. And when you cut back to the middle of the film, if you rewatch it, Lord Farquaad in his castle, there's a scene when it starts off where he has a bear rug (laughs) and it's like, 
the insulation is he's killed the mum bear. <laughs> but it's one of these things that you wouldn't notice unless you watched it again. Unless you watched it every day. Judging by how much the internet is obsessed with Shrek, I really wouldn't put that past people. Yeah. There are so many threads of like fan theories and, and like, observations. And I think there's just it's probably one of those films that has so many Easter eggs in it that it fuels that kind of speculation. There's a there's a there's a pretty strong theory. You know you know Pinocchio, like the film Pinocchio. There's, yeah. a, there's a scene in it, a pretty horrific scene, when he's at Treasure Island and he and there are a load of kids that get turned into donkeys. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, there's like this theory that the donkey in Shrek is one of the donkeys from from Pinocchio because the first time you see donkey, he's like next to Pinocchio and they're being sold off to the, yeah. to, the to the soldiers. Oh, that must be by design. They must have yeah, put them in the same be. scene. Is this our is this our segue into it was all a dream? <laughs> oh, it can be definitely. This is the the film to do it on. There is an internet obsession with Shrek and memes. Yeah, and yeah. I don't know why because this film came out twenty years ago and people are still making memes about Shrek. The most famous being Shrek is Love, Shrek is Life that we talked about earlier. Again, Dylan and I used to send that to one another just every every now and then, just being like Shrek is Love. <laughs> Weird film. If you've never seen it, Google it. It's like a short film, isn't it? Short of the week. <laughs> series. There, there's a series that came out. So there's, I think, four or five parts floating around, but none from the original account. So they're actually kind of hard to find today. You've been on a hard internet search to find. I was on a deep, deep YouTube dive. And God knows what Google thinks of me now, but (laughs) (laughs) it's like one of those films that you're right, like ages really well. And that is still funny if you watch it today. And all the memes are kind of about how we're too old to be finding this funny. And the memes (laughs) are about that. I think it just doesn't take itself too seriously. And so it's just so you can take the piss out of it so easily because it doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, (laughs) Well, I sent you a meme. um, like this is where the magic happens and it's a full bed sheet pillowcases everything (laughs) shrek (laughs) yeah should we move on to it was all a dream i'm looking at louis and like louis i've got quite a big one usually goes off the rails with this um i feel like we should get i feel like we should let dylan i agree lead the way dylan you were the you were the inspiration for it was all a dream segment for this podcast On that epic Oxfordshire car rant I went on about how you should never have a film based on a dream because then it becomes meaningful. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was specifically railing against Click and how stupid I thought that movie was. <laughs> Apparently, I, I was hearing that the um, a lot of the voices of the of the sort of minor characters in Shrek were just voiced by the people who animated them. Really? I have no idea. Yeah, like lo- loads of loads of the. Um, I was looking at all the credits on Amazon. The little pigs. Get the fuck out, my swamp! <laughs> one of the the gingerbread man, a co-director for one of the sequels of Shrek. Yeah, like these guys actually worked on and really the voices. Yeah, I love that. I I just think that that honestly adds to the homegrown feel of this whole film. Like oh. it feels like the kind of film where someone just said to a sixteen-year-old kid in nineteen ninety-nine who has like Lincoln Park and 
like yeah. skateboarding stuff in their bedroom <laughs> like here's a bunch of money animate a film on your computer like, <laughs> like the first thing they open with is a fart joke <laughs> in the toilet that reminds me of like if you give like creatives free reign like to your whole thing about how like the, the parents weren't really babysitting the film because they had other things on their mind like i feel yeah. like they got to run with whatever the hell they wanted <laughs> it's no surprise that films like toy story that launched pixar studios and shrek that launched dreamworks are both landmark films because the first films that these places did kind of built their reputation so you know be as free reign as you want with it you feel like if i gave dom a hundred million dollars in 2001 i would get shrek <laughs> for some odd reason i just feel like this would be the <laughs> honestly i don't i don't think anyone pitched shrek i think it just kind of appeared on people's computers <laughs> i get the whole, the whole, the whole show. i get the feeling that they just didn't tell it was a typo and then they're like hey by the way we've got this we spent 60 million and we've got this film about an ogre <laughs> hear me <Yeah>. out <laughs> so it was all a dream i got I'll go first. I'll go first. The, um, mine is, um, so essentially, Shrek wasn't initially meant to be a film. It was meant to be a game, like a, a PlayStation game. Um, but as they were designing the game, there were too many glitches in it. So, for example, Lord Farquaad was meant to be the hero, but they couldn't make him normal height. <laughs> um, and it was just stuck. And, they, and, the, and, and Shrek wasn't meant to be the main character. He was meant to be like the evil guy at the end. But the game was just like frigged, so he had to be the kind of lead character. Shrek was the boss. So rather than waste all the effort they'd put into making the game, they just decided like <laughs> the, the graphics were right. Fuck it, let's just make a film out of it instead. <laughs> and that was actually the origin of Shrek. <laughs> Is there a Shrek game? There must be a Shrek game somewhere. I honestly could believe that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it explains a lot about the animation yeah. and why it looks kind of weird compared to a lot of other things. <laughs> so... Apparently, Shrek 2 came out on GameCube. <laughs> So yeah. that was probably the original film that they, uh, they finally perfected in 2004. <laughs> <laughs> Three years later. Yeah. We did it. <laughs> in the second film. I'll, uh, I'll go next. So mine is, um, my theory kind of stemmed from a question, which was, why does Shrek want everyone off his swamp? Like, why is he so obsessed with get, get the fuck off what? he doesn't even swear what um, secret is he hiding yeah it's like what's he hiding like it can't just be all like a, he wants privacy <laughs> so my theory is that Shrek has basically committed genocide on his own his own people so he he's the only ogre because he killed and ate all the other ogres and he buried them in his swamp which is why he doesn't want anyone coming near the swamp because it's a fucking crime scene it also, it kind of makes me think, because when he was eating, he was eating like eyeballs and like basically eating a lot of human-esque things. I'm like, where's he getting all this food from? It can't all just be animals. <laughs> so I feel like he stockpiled the bodies and he's just eating them. I feel like he, and then he did a deal with whoever was before Lord Farquaad to like not come near his land. So that's why when Lord Farquaad becomes Lord and sends everyone to his land, he's like, who's this Lord Farquaad guy? Um, Fiona turning into an ogre. So I speculate that Fiona knows that Shrek ate all the other ogres. And the reason why she doesn't want to show him that she becomes an ogre is because she's afraid that he will eat her. <laughs> is it sunset? So when when she when she finally realizes that like they're actually like in love and Shrek's all right, then she reveals it. Um, so really, I kind of feel like the whole movie is a comment on how even people who do the most heinous acts or crimes can be redeemed by a singing and dancing <laughs> at the end. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that's my theory that Shrek committed genocide on his own people and he's redeemed throughout the, throughout the whole film. I buy it. Yeah, that's um that's my theory. It improves on last week's theory for monsters, which was just the whole film was actually real. So yeah, that's me. So my I, I, go next? I don't really have a it was all dream, but I do have some major questions about the plot here. Uh why was he buying up and maybe this can be our strange theory that we come up with collectively, but why was he buying up all these fantasy characters, putting him on Strex's land just to let them all go? Yeah. It seems like a really poor use of kingdom resources, if you ask me. <laughs> Not only did he use imminent domain to claim this swamp, but then he just sort of forgot about all this all this capital expenditure, buys up all these fairy tale creatures. I thought Farquhar's original plan was to commit a mass genocide on all fantasy creatures. I thought that was the plan. <laughs> I thought he wanted to get rid of them all. Then he didn't even do that. And then I thought, look, he has this nice theme park. Can't he all cage them all up and then like make some money off of them? In the end, he just wound up giving them all away. But then he was eaten by the dragon, so it's a new. The classic example of an over centralized central government, right? It needs to they need to devolve the power into the communities so they can set up local planning organizations that can that can manage the land better. <laughs> manage the short manage the swamps. <laughs> Yeah. Farquaad knew that Shrek's swamp was some serious piece of real estate that was worth quite, quite a lot of money. You know, it makes you ask him, ask some serious questions. He asked some serious questions about the state of real estate. <laughs> I think all of the houses were so expensive in Shrek because all of the bricks have been used in Lord Farquaad's tower. So <laughs> houses are really expensive now. Yeah. Shrek's <laughs> land is just ripe for someone to come build a moron, isn't it? It's like the whole film is a comment on the gentrification of outsiders yeah. living in in areas which are under potential threat from real estate development. Fuck off my swamp. <laughs> yeah, maybe this is a commentary on gentrification where Shrek is that old resident of Shoreditch and all of the fairy tale characters are new <laughs> Shrek is a nimbius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a, a craft beer pub pops up on Shrek Swamp and he's like cereal cafes oh fuck sick <laughs> now Dylan said that I want someone to recreate like an old person living in Shoreditch running around the different coffee shops just being like no no get out my swamp get out my get out my dish yeah. you can get a bowl of cereal it's only, it's only six quid <laughs> Louis, what's your theory? Yeah, I want to hear this. Come on. Everyone's waiting for uh, it. You know, you know me, I don't really have one. I think this is going to be... Uh, I'm speculating this is based on the Facebook logo. It's not, actually. I, that, that, that would be quite a good one, but I only remembered that halfway through. Um, this one was sparked when you sent a meme earlier of Shrek as Hitler. <laughs> and um, it made me. It finally, it finally dawned on me that Shrek's basically a metaphor for the Second World War. Like, hear me out, okay? So, in this metaphor, I want you to imagine that Lord Farquaad is is Hitler's Germany. That Shrek is FDR's USA. Donkey is Churchill's Britain, and the princess is Stalinist Russia. Right now, hear me out, okay? <laughs> All right. A short, strong man leader. I've got this written down. A short, strong man leader. He has this vision of a perfect, pure society, right? 
that Farquhar and Hitler, then he wants to launch this purge of the so-called abnormal outsiders who interfere with that vision. The ethnic cleansing then causes this refugee crisis, right? Just like it did in the mm. 1930s, it does also with the fairy tale creatures in Dulot. So just like the refugees used to flee to the USA in the 1930s, many of those refugees fled to Shrek Swamp, right? We're starting to see the similarities. Mm. So Shrek, just like the USA throughout the 1930s, initially has this isolationist stance, right? He doesn't want to get dragged into a war that he doesn't have to fight. It's not his war. USA just wanted to know that their interests weren't threatened and Shrek just wants to swamp back. So, of course, <laughs> the only problem is he got dragged in, just like the USA did. He got dragged in when Farquaad tried to kill him at the tournament when he went to go and ask for his his swamp back. Right, so that's the USA story. Donkey, meanwhile, the, the British metaphor here, he's this kind of plucky, courageous, high-spirited kind of creature who narrowly escaped defeat at the hands of Farquaad's mm-hmm. soldiers early in the tale, just like Britain did at Dunkirk. <laughs> So their resolve, the resolve was wave <laughs> unwavering throughout. And also that, like his mission throughout is encouraging Shrek, trying to get him to take up arms, trying to build this strong alliance to take on the enemy. Uh, that's his role. And then finally, Fiona, Princess Fiona, who is Russia. So just like Stalin and FDR, a princess and an ogre, initially natural enemies. They shouldn't <laughs> go together at all. They couldn't possibly unite. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Fiona at the start of the movie, Russia in the 1930s was actually referred to by commentators as the sleeping giant, just like Fiona is sleeping at the beginning, (laughs) just waiting to be provoked. And just like Stalin, she switched her allegiance day and night, day and night. Now, Hitler, or Farquaad, had his eyes on taking Fiona slash Russia for himself, right? And eventually, that's what turned her against him. And then the forces of Shrek, Fiona, and Donkey vanquished the evil dictator, just like in World War II. Perfect. Bloody hell. That is one theory. He said, I don't really have a theory, and then goes off. (laughs) (laughs) It's because I don't think of it as a theory. I think it's fact. (laughs) It's it's just kind of something small I whipped up two minutes before this. <laughs> that that theory holds holds uh, holds water because often dictators that want to rule a certain land in a certain way are right. not they are not the image that they are projecting, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 imagery of, of fascism throughout throughout all the references to Farquaad and Duloc and everything are pretty uncanny. There's everyone's everyone's like this perfect character, you know. So is the female dragon the EU and then Donkey's gonna divorce her sooner or later? That is a very good point. <laughs> That, that, could, have been, that could have been a contemporary theory for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually see the pain on Louis's face. He's like, begrudgingly like, fitting married couple, and Donkey doesn't really want her, but then ultimately <laughs> gets with her. <laughs> <laughs> the, the dragon can be the British Empire. But doesn't want to pay back into the relationship, i.e., through terror. <laughs> yeah. The traitor. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe beats the love actually uh, theory. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a, that was a great theory. That took a loo turn. <laughs> that did take a loo. That whole theory took a loo turn. <laughs> cool. So I feel like Shrek. We've covered Shrek. 
out of a lot of the first films we've done, this one stands out as being fairly surprising that it was a it was a first attempt, especially yeah. by like a kind of storyboard artist that stepped up yeah. to become director. You do wonder. I mean, we didn't really talk much about it, but I guess it, you do, like you wonder why they would give something of this size and this complexity to a first time director, and you wonder if it's because directors maybe play slightly less of a role. I don't know. In in a big animated film like this, it's such a kind of group. Oh. In this scenario, it's just that that Shrek at DreamWorks was just mm. not seen as a favorable project. Movies like this do take so much more. When you're filming something, right, live action, the actor dictates almost everything that comes across their face that happens in the scene, what they do with their body. Whereas this, films like this take a room full of people to think and then ideate and then actually create what happens on that. So the director role is so much less important, but also so much more important. I feel like they're way more of a project manager than they are yeah. the auteur. Yeah, completely agree. With animated films, for me at least, I feel like the really good ones and the ones that that stand out are the ones that have that tone. They have a very specific, unique tone yeah. to them, which is obviously prevalent and necessary in all types of film. Yeah. But with animated film, I feel like it really comes through because everything is so visual. Yeah. It's interesting, like within a within a year of Shrek coming out, another DreamWorks film came out called Spirit Stallion of the Chimaran. Mm-hmm. And that had a bigger budget. It had it had an $80 million budget. And like, yeah, no one remembers that. So you're right. I think it obviously just wasn't the only thing on everyone's to-do list. Um, should we move on to Short of the Week? Um, Hell yeah. So Short Danny the Boyle's Short Film. <laughs> Is it just me? You see, Is it that it, it, it's, a, it's like a Danny Boyle scene. I thought about it that way. That's, uh, that's a good read. Um, the Short this week is uh, Commute by Scott Laser. This was a short I came across on Vimeo probably two, three months ago. Um, and... I kind of chose it for this episode because I felt like it would be an, a kind of funny joke seeing as none of us are commuting right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I also just thought it was uh, very nicely put together and quite nicely shot. And I'm always a fan of these kind of small shorts that work with virtually nothing and kind of pull nice. a small story out of it. But what did we all think? Let's dive in. I personally laughed at the whole thing. To me, the idea... The way it was put together, its conclusions, was shot by an outsider. I grew up in that commute. I own that commute. <laughs> okay, man. I am that commute. It's got an it's outsider not there. If you talk to any New Yorker, true New Yorkers, not people who move here from Jersey and claim to know the best pizza. <laughs> like it's Joe's Pizza. Shout out. Commute, commuting is a game and you have to win it every single day. It's not stressful. It's just a part of your daily... But I feel like, isn't that kind of what he's saying in this film? It's He's sort of gamifying it. Like the idea that everyone's kind of looking up at the screen waiting to be given the instruction. Dee, would you say this is an accurate representation of commuting in, in New York? Not really, because he makes it sound so stressful. Like he's putting in all these noises. <laughs> like if you're, if you're really thinking about it as a game, think of like, think of being on the because you guys are in the UK, think of being on the soccer pitch. If you ask any real athlete, they'll say they don't hear the crowd. They're just sort of so in the zone that everything else goes silent and they do their thing. That's how I feel getting to work every single day. Everything else goes silent. And then I try to get there as soon as possible. (laughs) (laughs) You're in that New Yorker, like just straight line thing where you're like tunnel vision. Well, Dom, you've walked down the street with me. It's like I'm racing someone. I can't just... Yeah, it's like it's like you'd walk through a wall to get to your destination if it meant you could get there quicker. <laughs> Sparrow, what did you think of this? Yeah, no, well, I like the length of it. 
<laughs> it is. It's truly. It's truly half inspiring. It's half inspiring. <laughs> these these ten minute short films. I was like, what's this about? Not not massively blown away, but I did quite. I did quite enjoy it. What, what did you make of it? Um, I really liked it. I I I really like. Um, I I love stuff that's shot on sixteen millimeter. I feel like it ge- it just gives that kind of on the ground feeling, which this film was going for. And I thought it was really nicely edited. I thought it was quite cleverly edited. I love the build up it made of the station being revealed. You know, when everyone was kind of waiting for which platform and which line it was going to be on. I thought that was really nice. It's worth saying this has had over a hundred k views on Vimeo. And it's been up for three months. So it's popular. It's really, really popular. Because everyone's missing being able to commute to work. And that's it's like that's what's desire right now. It's not sex. It's like, can I have my life back? Yeah, I gotta say there was a part of me watching this where I was like, hang on, we used to commute. Yeah. Like, this <laughs> stations were busy and things were happening. I've heard you know you know how you know how you're supposed to kind of try and keep some structure like of you know, make your day as normal as possible. I've heard some people they um they stand in the shower and hold on to the railing yeah. for like twenty minutes to like resemble standing on the tube. <laughs> That's Sometimes I spill coffee on myself just to feel alive. <laughs> <laughs> um, Louis, what do you think of this? I like it. You know, I think two things. First of all, I just I like the fact I like the resourcefulness of it. Right? They say that you know filmmakers make films. Um. And like, I wouldn't pretend that this is a great masterpiece, but it it shows kind of a bit of creativity with what you've got. Um, I quite like that somebody who wanted to make a short film literally just probably took a camera on their commute and shot it. It's worth saying, it says in the description that this is the busiest train station in the Western Hemisphere, New Penn York City's Penn Station. Penn Station is a fucking nightmare. I will say that. Penn Station's a fucking nightmare. You don't want to be in Penn Station. <laughs> it's it's. So you think this film captured the anxiety of... of- of being at Penn Station, uh, minus uh, the 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 derelict nature of the facilities and how much it smells, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> There's a comment under the video that says this gives me a pleasant anxiety, and then Scott replied to it saying pleasant anxiety was exactly the idea. <laughs> so I think it's quite an interesting kind of because I think that probably does sum it up quite well. Like you get stressed, but it's also quite kind of like cool to watch. It gives me it. it, it, it I literally thought it was like a Danny Boyle film when I felt like a scene from a Danny Boyle yeah. film when I first looked. Yeah, at it. it's interesting you say that. It it took me to um. Have you seen the beach? Yes. Um, there's Sparrow, a, a, a classic Sparrow film. Classic Sparrow. There are scenes in the beach where they show kind of like really frenetic, like stressful scenes, like when they go to Copenhagen and stuff. It's done exactly, exactly like that. It's a bit like train spotting as well, I guess, where you've got the kind of like stress, 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 but in quite a kind of exciting beat behind I it. I know it's a, it's I know Penton Station's an iconic kind of station in New York, but as someone who doesn't live in New York, it's really interesting to watch something filmed in an area of new york that i don't know that well usually a lot of this stuff is shot on the streets like the yellow cabs that like i quickly identifiable thing for me it's kind of nice to watch something from new york that didn't feel immediately recognizable i can give you guys a a touch point it'd be the equivalent to standing in liverpool liverpool street station yeah 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 like paddington maybe Commuting hub, yeah. I think Oxford Circus is the busiest tube station apparently in in London. All right, well, it sounds like it's a it sounds like it's a pod recommend by I'm judging by everyone's reaction. So it, it costs you two minutes of your life to watch it, so you might as well watch it. Yeah. Also, as Ben As and I were saying, if it's on the pod, it kind of already is a recommend. So we're recommending that everyone go and see, go and watch this short. One week we'll put a short up here that's absolute crap, <laughs> <laughs> just to fuck with people. What was that one we had that one time where everyone was a bit like? 
Yeah, we did have one. Do you remember? One, yeah, well, I've tried to forget it. I think it was a, one howler. It was a, it was a howler. So yeah, go watch Commute by Scott Laser on Vimeo. So I think that's it, guys. I think that's our first animated film on the podcast. Pleasure. Also, I find these animated films from the early early two thousands. They're like. 90 minutes or less they're like really short probably because the seat computers just couldn't render it anymore like <laughs> I, will say that, I will say that that's no longer no longer today like both because less people visit theaters so films have become longer because there's you know you you have more attention span for people to, who are sitting there but then also because netflix films are just too long i feel like the original now is the director's cut and then they have a director's director's cut where it's even longer <laughs> back to being short and concise excuse <laughs> me there's one person on this podcast who will fully support that theory and he's on this episode right now <laughs> and his name is sparrow uh thanks thanks for tuning in from new york d thanks yeah, man. of course man thanks for having me that's it from us uh so it's bye from me bye from dylan he's waving bye, <laughs> bye from Louis. <laughs> For the listeners, waving for the listeners. Uh, bye from Sparrow. See ya. All right. See you later. Peace.